A lot of times on Mondays, really sprinkled throughout the week, but specifically on Monday, because Mondays tend to be a little manic and miserable, I will say to you, misery loves company. I don't know what statement it makes about me that I'm actually secretly, well, happy would be too strong of a word, but I'm secretly satisfied or pleased that other people in my life, family and friends, are also struggling to get back to their work schedules this week. I have been thinking there is something wrong with me, really, because I'm having a hard time. My wagon is sagging this week. I didn't sleep well the first two days of the week, and really Tuesday was about the DeMar Hamlin and feeling that emotional heaviness and worried about getting some type of an update. Um, And so Tuesday was more about me constantly looking at my phone whenever I woke up and just not sleeping well than sleeping fitfully. Today... Wednesday, I took drugs, so I did sleep a lot better. I'm just, I'm really having a hard time being productive outside of work. So I keep telling myself, if the radio shows are good, and if we can be proud of the radio shows, well, then there's a start. I guess vacuuming can wait. I guess the laundry can wait until the weekend. Uh, I managed to exercise a couple of times. At least I'm feeding myself. Yes, I'm taking care of my pets and also managing to be clean and wear clean clothes. But otherwise, that's pretty much it. Actually, I think these socks might be dirty, to tell you the truth. (laughs) Jay's face just dropped. Are you kidding me? You're wearing dirty socks. You know, take everything you hear on the radio with a grain of salt, producer Jay. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. It is our fourth show of the work week. I don't mind telling you I'm already looking ahead to the weekend. I got a text from my niece because I sent her a photo of my cat. My Maybe I'll share the photo of Sugar. It's the rare chance where she actually is not howling at me and doesn't look like a complete and total menace. Uh, anyway, my nieces call her best friend. Because she's their best friend, not mine. I keep telling my older niece, if you would like best friend to come live with you, you just say the word and I'm happy to send her your way. (laughs) Anyway, best friend is never more than a foot away from me. And she was sitting on the back of the chair while I was eating my dinner on on, uh, Wednesday evening. And so I took the photo kind of the selfie over my shoulder. The cat is asleep. She has no idea. She actually looks cute. Again, because she's not howling and her mouth is not open. Um, And so I sent this picture to my niece and told her best friend misses you and then mentioned I was having a hard time getting back to the schedule and I was feeling super old. And (laughs) she writes back uh, that she's also struggling waking up early for work again after her week off between Christmas and New Year's. So that gave me a little bit of solace. See what I mean? I don't want my niece to struggle. I don't want other people to also be having uh, these these challenging days or nights, whichever it happens to be for you. But it does make me feel as though I'm not completely alone and maybe it's not just the fact that I'm old. (laughs) It's... It's a week, and we know it's been an atypical week in the world of sports, and that was emphasized again on Wednesday. 
it was the first time because this is the NFL schedule when coaches and players are required to do media availability, all except for the Buffalo Bills today. We did not hear from them. They did get back on the practice field. You may have seen the reports. They did not do full pad or full speed practices. Instead, they did walkthroughs and they did team meetings. But it was the first time that the Bills had been anywhere near the practice field since Monday evening. And typically, they would have Tuesday off, although sometimes when you've got teams that play on a Monday night and they know they're looking at a short work week, they tweak their schedule a little bit. The bills were not made available, but we did hear from Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow and other members of the Bengals on Wednesday. In addition, many other NFL players were sitting with microphones in front of them or were standing at their lockers with a scrum of reporters in front of them sharing their emotions sharing their fears, their anxieties, their perspectives in that moment when DeMar Hamlin dropped in Cincinnati on Monday night. Here we are now more than 48 hours later, although I guess a lot of these interviews were taking place on Wednesday afternoon, so not quite 48 hours. And it's clear these players are still shaken in many ways. Does that mean they won't play football or can't focus on football? No, but it does mean they care in many cases more about DeMar, far more about DeMar and about seeing this happen in front of them than they do about talking football or previewing week 18, even if the games do have significance for them. I was really struck by the vulnerability. I was struck by the kindness, the compassion, the support for one another and for DeMar as he continues to fight for his life. It was underscored. And I think this was something we saw in real time on Monday night. It was something Dion Dawkins mentioned to us and, and, said specifically when he did his interviews. I think the the specific bite we had was from CNN. But actually, it might have been on ESPN. That they are human beings first. They're not celebrities. They're not athletes. They're not millionaires. What they are first is human beings. And they care so much about one another. And they understand there is a brotherhood because... They all know the possibilities, the potential, even if it's rare, even if we've never seen it before until now, they all recognize their health and in some ways, maybe even their lives are on the line. Not every play, not every snap. We're not talking about war here. I'm not comparing them to soldiers or to sailors or to those who have served overseas in Afghanistan or Iraq or other war zones. That's not what I'm saying. But there are these moments where we've seen head injuries and and now with Damar, a cardiac arrest on the field. They may be rare, but they can happen. Every time these athletes step on the field, they know it's dangerous. Do they choose to play football? Do they choose to cash the paychecks? Do they choose to put themselves in this situation? Absolutely. 
And I haven't heard anyone yet say they're reconsidering their career choices. No, of course they choose. To a lesser extent, it's not physical. But for someone who works in radio or TV or any member of the media, I say it sometimes, we choose to put ourselves in a public arena. And so there's a different standard for us when it comes to, say, social media, when it comes to criticism, when it comes to feedback. I can't ever complain about it. I don't love it, but I don't complain about it because I choose to put myself in this chair. I choose to do a national radio show. And the national feedback comes with it. So these athletes recognize they choose and they can walk away at any time if that's what they want to do. They're not saying, I'm regretting my choices. It's not fair. I don't want to do this anymore. No, in in many cases, you're hearing them look forward, but they're also understanding maybe more than ever that this game can come with serious costs. And so to hear them, I felt it was very powerful. It was poignant. Every single one of them began with a sentiment about DeMar, about praying for DeMar, about what this week has been like, the challenges, the emotions, and the struggle in many cases to think about getting on the football field. Now that's more that's that's more top of mind for the Bills and the Bengals and we obviously haven't heard from the Bills yet. We will at some point. But Joe Burrow was talking about the locker room and how the Bengals if they took a poll playing in week 18 wouldn't be the choice of every single one of the guys in that locker room. And he actually waffled back and forth himself. And so even as sports fans, and I'm starting to see it on social media, it definitely does come across callous in case you're wondering. Oh, well, soldiers, they just have to get up and keep fighting. Oh, well, they should get over it. How do you move on? Well, you get back to playing, do your job, yada, yada, yada. Oh, yes, because you've ever been in this situation before. So you should be telling them what to do. These are grown men, many cases alpha males, who've never seen anything like this before. And even though they know conceptually that it's a possibility to see a friend, to see a brother, to see a teammate, a competitor, Drop the way that he did and now still in the hospital, in critical condition, in ICU, needing a ventilator to help him breathe. That drives the point home like never before. I would say it's not all that different than a near-death experience that maybe you have gone through or that I have gone through. Or losing someone close to you or having someone close to you deal with a life or death experience, maybe a health challenge or maybe an accident, a tragedy, a natural disaster, something along those lines. Of course, it drives home 
the value, but also the frailty of life. And it reminds you what's most important. There isn't one person listening to me talking right now. I'm in the same boat. Who could say either losing someone close to you or having someone go through a near-death experience that doesn't underscore the fact that life is precious and it's fleeting and it can change at any time. It can be snatched away cruelly at any time. We know this. We deal with death on a regular basis as human beings. And whether it's personal or whether it's public. Some of you have pointed out to me the so he was a driver, also stunt car and just well known in the driving industry, the racing industry, Keith Block passing away in an accident over the last week. This isn't the first time that we've talked about an athlete being seriously injured on the field. And while maybe it wasn't always life or death, think about Tiger Woods and the situation he went through with the accident. And we were waiting for updates on him. How about Ryan Shazier? Not that long ago getting injured. If I remember correctly, it was also in Cincinnati. And there was concern he might never walk again. It ended his career. He never played again. Though, thankfully, much of his mobility has been restored. It was before I was here on the planet. But some of you have either sent me the link or have shared the story of the one Detroit Lion, the only NFL player ever to die on the field. Now, it it was a health condition that he had that wasn't readily visible. It was something that maybe could have happened outside of the football field, but that's not where it happened. It's not how it happened. And now you've got his widow speaking out about how seeing DeMar Hamlin or hearing about DeMar Hamlin and then seeing the video of him collapsing on the field Monday has brought back all of those painful memories that she lived so poignantly and so personally when her husband died in 1971. So he's the only NFL player who's ever passed away on the field. His name was Chuck Hughes and his widow is done interviews now but if I uh, think it was his nephew too and even some fans who were at the game where he passed away so these are all traumatic experiences Damar Hamlin has been that for the NFL community and again I, I think it's even more challenging and even still more emotional because it's touch and go Yes, there have been improvements. The family, family friends have indicated that there are positive signs that he's making some progress. But he's still intubated. He's still in critical condition. He's still in the ICU. And this is not an easy recovery, a quick recovery. There's still a long way to go. And so I think that also makes it more difficult.
because we don't have that thumbs up like some of the players have mentioned. Like Kadri Ismail told us on last night's show, what usually allows these players to get back to football is they see their teammate as hard as it is, as much pain as he might be in, he gives a thumbs up to let people know, I'm okay. Thank you. I'm okay. Well, that's not what happened with DeMar because he never woke up and he hasn't been awake since. So again, a, a different experience for almost everybody in the NFL. Maybe there are a few coaches who remember Chuck Hughes or owners, team personnel, but none of these players do. And so this is unique. And to hear them speak about it on Wednesday, it's fairly obvious they're not, quote-unquote, over it. Are they moving on? Yes, because they have to. Are they moving forward, I think, would be a more appropriate statement. They're moving forward because they have to. This is their job. But I appreciate that they're open and vulnerable and honest. How often do we get tired of coach speak or, hey, these interviews with athletes that never give us anything? Oh, they're giving us everything this week. They're letting us know exactly how they feel. And I appreciate that it's the narrative in the NFL because life is more important than football. Because their teammate, this competitor, this young man who's 24 is more important than the game's. It's definitely shown us the human side of the NFL. And I'm not sure I'll ever look at them the same. You can find me on Twitter, A-Law Radio. Also on our Facebook page, After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow were there on Monday night when the decision was made to postpone the game. Still dealing with the emotions of what happened on Monday, even as they get set to take on the Ravens. And that game will be in Cincinnati come Sunday. The NFL has set the time for 1 o'clock local, 1 o'clock Eastern time. So we'll hear from Zach and we'll hear from Joe Burrow. And man, we have a lot to do tonight. I'm looking forward to running full court with you guys. The NBA had some fun finishes, some wild and wacky finishes The Toronto Raptors erased a 21-point lead in three minutes. (laughs) Shame on you, Milwaukee Bucks. They definitely took their foot off the gas. Also, looked like Klay Thompson had set the Warriors up for overtime with another one of his big threes, only to watch the opponent, the Pistons, take a page out of the Warriors' book. So we'll get to some hoops. We've also got Dennis Dodd joining us from Arizona. So coming up at the top of the hour, longtime college football writer and reporter Dennis Dodd on the Jim Harbaugh card and the possibilities of him leaving Michigan, how Michigan is reacting, as well as TCU. A Cinderella in college football. Looking forward to that. So on Twitter, on Facebook, yes, Before this hour is done, producer Jay is going to give us the big reveal, the number of M&Ms in the Christmas mason jar, as well as, get this, did you tell me two people actually nailed the number? Two people nailed the number of M&Ms, like actually got the actual number. 
that sounds so awkward, actually got the number right on. And you guys keep asking me. Uh, so I'm going to blame producer Jay. And Jay's going to tell you he was sick over the course of Christmas week. So he was not in any mood to count M&M's. We, <laughs> there probably would have been M&M's all over his room if he was like trying to count M&M's in his, it been rough. his sick stupor. I was laying. Yeah, so that's his excuse. I guess you can accept it or not, but... At least he's still alive, so there's that. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Our thoughts and prayers are with uh, DeMar Hamlin and his family and his loved ones and um, his teammates, the coaches, the entire Bills organization. We've always had a great deal of respect for them. Um, I think that's grown much deeper, obviously, um, with what we've all seen transpire. And um, so certainly we're pulling for DeMar, uh, hoping for the most positive outlook. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Zach Taylor speaking for the first time publicly since Monday evening and the postponement of a game in the first quarter that we are now realizing may never actually be played it's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. One of the the visuals that will remain with me, and it, it was in the wake of seeing the tears on the faces of the Bills and the concern with the Bengals and the ring around DeMar Hamlin and the ambulance. The conversation that Zach Taylor and Sean McDermott had while they were standing uh, closer to the Bills' sideline, uh, surrounded by the officials, and really no precedent for this, and not sure how they could move forward. There's a continued debate over whether or not the NFL or someone who represented the NFL told the broadcast booth that there would be a five-minute warm-up. ESPN is standing by that indicating that someone fed them the information there on site, and the NFL is saying, absolutely not. We have no idea where that came from. You can believe whoever it is that you would like to believe. But either way, Zach Taylor walked across the field to see Sean McDermott, and he spoke about that conversation. This was before the game was officially postponed. When I got over there, uh, the first thing he said was, I need to be at the hospital tomorrow and I shouldn't be coaching this game. And so that, to me, provides all the clarity because there, there was no uh, unprecedented is the word that gets thrown out a lot about this situation because that's what it is. Uh, but in that moment, he really uh, showed who he was, that, that all his focus was just on DeMar and being there for him, and being there for his family at the hospital. The right decisions were made there. But, um, again, just, just I, I really felt Sean McDermott led in that moment for his players. He was there for his players. He, he processed the right way, which was incredibly difficult and really helped us get to the, the solution that we needed to get to. We've heard a lot of praise for the way that both Zach Taylor and Sean McDermott led on Monday night. And there's no way to know if this ever would have happened, but I suspect that we'll just say if the NFL had been callous in that moment and had been tone deaf and not realized that these two locker rooms, these two teams could not have continued, that Zach Taylor and Sean McDermott would have said no. They would have stepped in on behalf of their players, recognizing where they were emotionally, that there was no possible way they could go out there and play a game that would have been competitive or safe. As for Joe Burrow, 
He also was speaking on Wednesday about what these last couple days have felt like. A lot of emotions. Um, obviously, very, very scary. Um, you know, not a lot of clarity, a lot of rumors, a lot of um, just a lot of stuff going around. Mm, seems like the appropriate word, right? A lot of stuff going around. And he's right in that there have been kind of updates and reports about DeMar's health, but also about what the NFL will do moving forward, how their game might be replayed or not be replayed. Ultimately, though, here are the Bengals who will be hosting the Ravens. The AFC North title is still up for grabs. That number one seed has also not been secure. And so he and his teammates, and he's a captain, they've got to figure out a way to point themselves forward. We have a game to play on Sunday, and it's a short week, and it's going to be tough. Just like I'm sure it's going to be tough for for everybody around the league to to go out there and play on Sunday after what happened on Monday night. I think playing would be is going to be tough, but you know there's there's people that want to play too, and there's people that don't. And so personally, I probably want to play. You know, I think getting back to you know as normal as you can, as fast as you can, is personally how how I deal with these kind of things. But Joe indicates that, and I heard another quote where he said, if we would take a poll in the locker room, there'd be a lot of guys who wouldn't want to play, who wouldn't want to move forward. So still something that's very emotional and powerful for them, and they're having a hard time processing. Uh, What about this game against the Bills? Now, we'll give you the latest from the NFL. I guess there are a couple of possibilities they're tossing around. Nothing definitive yet, but the reports are there that it kind of comes down to two options. Um, One would be playing, one would be not playing. The game seems more likely that they will end up and this is a commissioner's decision declaring a no contest or a tie. Um, but Joe was asked about whether or not they should reschedule that game with Buffalo. I think that would be tough, uh, just just scheduling wise. I think, you know, I think whatever Buffalo would want to do would be what we would want to do as well. We're you know behind them 100 percent, support them in in whatever they would decide to do going forward. We'll hear more from Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow about Monday and about what they were feeling in that moment and now trying to move forward. Also, Kenny Pickett, who was a fellow captain with DeMar when the two of them played at Pitt. And I'm not sure if you heard about Rodney Thomas. He's a high school teammate of DeMar Hamlin's, and he is playing for the Colts. And so he decided immediately he was driving to Cincinnati. So he drove from Indianapolis to Cincinnati on Monday to be with his friend. Um, and I, I saw he, he did multiple interviews on Wednesday as well. And I saw one particular video with him where he talked about just holding his friend's hand and being there and leaning over him and talking to him. And that even though there was no response from DeMar, he's sure that DeMar could hear him. I mean, again, if any of us have ever been at a hospital or, you know, talk to someone who is unresponsive or in a coma, um, you what you hope is that they can hear you. What you hope is that they're even if they are not reacting, they're processing the sound of your voice and they know that you are there. And it was it was really it was really one of those moments where I can imagine that Rodney 
felt like he had no other choice because I would have felt the same way. I have to be there. Remember before my grandmother passed away, I bought a plane ticket because I felt like I had to be there, even though my uncle said she may not know that you are here. But it was important to me, and Rodney made it very clear that there was nothing that was going to stand in his way of going and, and spending time with his friend. On Twitter, A-Law Radio, on our Facebook page, too, um, we're getting closer to Week 18. The NFL has kept the schedule intact and has not changed anything with the Week 18 slate, which means, wow, after this atypical, unconventional week where it feels like football actually came to a grinding halt, there will be games, actually starting with a doubleheader on Saturday. Plus, the NBA had some wacky finishes just in the few last few hours that you're definitely going to want to hear. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Looney up top. Clay comes back. They throw it for Lamb on the right side. The Clay who relocates for a three look. He got it with one second to go. What a play. Steve Kerr and his staff drew up an unbelievable play there. Clay Thompson got a wide open look. We're tied with one second to go. Tied at 119. The game is not over. Detroit calls their final timeout. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. If you were looking for some drama, look no further than the basketball court. Bunch of streaks on the line on Wednesday evening and streaks coming to an end. So we'll get back to college football, actually, top of the hour. So we will return to the gridiron with Dennis Dodd, who will join us from Arizona to talk about the big national championship the Cinderella that is TCU, and also the rumblings about Jim Harbaugh returning to the NFL. So that's coming up from the top of the hour. But basketball. So it's been some kind of crazy what we've seen from various individuals in the NBA. Uh, I alluded to this last night. I wanted to make sure that I had the specifics right. But never had it happened in the past that in a four-day stretch – Four different players had scored over 50 points. And so if you think about Luka Doncic, he had 60. Donovan Mitchell had 71. Klay Thompson had 54. And then what did we see from Giannis Antetokounmpo on Tuesday night, which was a 55-point effort, his career high? We've got a 12-game win streak for the Nets a six-game win streak for the Warriors, the defending champs, even as they are playing without Steph Curry. Looks like they're targeting January 13th as the day that he will return from that partially separated shoulder. Yeah, right now, the NBA is trying to attract your eyeballs away from all things football with some of its wacky and wild finishes. Nothing more insane than what we saw in Toronto 
a few hours ago. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. So Giannis, he follows up his 55 with 30 points, 10 assists, and get this, a season-high 21 rebounds. So a triple-double for Giannis. He's on this insane stretch over five games or so. Um, But that notwithstanding, the Raptors weren't about to let this one go. Even though they were trailing the Bucs, this is at home, they're trailing the Bucs by 21 points with just over three minutes remaining. And even by NBA standards, where everybody makes a run, that is insurmountable, right? 21 points with three minutes remaining, and yet crazier things, apparently. Freddie against Carter. Up top straight away, over the shoulder to Scotty. Step back, thought about the three, goes over far wing to Gary. Shot clock, game clock down to five, three, Trent to tie the game. It's good! Gary Trent with .8 remaining has tied the game at 97. Onions from Trent and the Toronto Raptors have come back from down 16, down 12 with only 60 seconds to play. They have locked the game at 97. I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty hard to believe even as you're watching it. The Bucks led 90 to 69. 90 to 69 with 350 to go in the fourth quarter. But in that final minute, uh Toronto not only took advantage of some turnovers, but able to uh to take advantage of a couple of mistakes by the Bucks as well. And Gary Trent Jr. hits the tying three in that final second and they go into overtime. Now this is Mostly a footnote because it doesn't turn out to be a Raptors win, but still, it was tight all the way through the extra period. Giannis drifts to his right. He's being pressured on the outside by Ananobi. Spins in, into a crowd, passes to the corner. Catch and shoot three for the lead. Grayson Allen sticks it with a cold-blooded three with the nerve of a cat burglar. It's a three-point lead for Milwaukee. 104 to 101 with 10.8 seconds to go and a hush descends again over Scotia Bank Arena. We made it a lot harder than it needed to be, um, <laughs> but a lot of credit to them. Like a lot of teams, when, when you're up 20 with three minutes to go, they just kind of give up, but they were pressing, active defensively. They hit some big threes. Uh, Gary Trent hit some huge shots, so a lot of credit to them. Grayson Allen on Bally Sports Wisconsin once the game was finally in the books and the Bucks were able to secure that three-point victory in OT. I can imagine they were exhausted, but come on. 21-point lead, poof, disappearing in three minutes in the fourth quarter. That's, well, that's a little bit scary. Uh, and so the Bucks get the win, but it took Grayson Allen with a huge three uh, in that OT on Bucks Radio and Raptors Radio. A little bit of the drama there. Well, how about the finish between the Pistons and the Warriors? This one taking place at the Chase Center. And, you know, they're fighting and scratching and clawing, and they get every opponent's best shot, especially now without Steph Curry. This is when teams want to be able to take advantage of their matchups with the Warriors. But Clay Thompson is on some kind of run right now. Looney up top. Clay comes back. They throw it for Lamb on the right side. The Clay who relocates for a three look. He got it with one second to go. What a play. Steve Kerr and his staff drew up an unbelievable play there. 
Clay Thompson got a wide open look. We're tied with one second to go, tied at 119. The game's not over. Detroit calls their final timeout. That's Tim Roy on Warriors Radio. This was actually a a final 30 seconds that had a ton of twists and turns. So, Klay Thompson gets a defensive rebound. I think they're in the final 30 seconds. And Jordan Poole then turns the ball over. So, the Warriors aren't able to get a shot off. They kind of waste that possession. And so, instead, they're they're fighting, scratching, clawing here. So, then Klay scores on a layup. And Golden State is up by a point. The Warriors look like they're heading to overtime. Uh, and so they there's uh, the, the turnover, as I say, leads to a piston shot. So they kind of they're in their head, they think they've got this. And then because of that turnover, the Pistons are able to to uh, take the lead. Then coming out of uh, the out of bounds play, it was drawn up perfectly, as you hear with Tim Roy. Uh, essentially, the very end of it, Clay comes around a screen on the perimeter, stops on a dime, the pass is there, and boom, he hits the three. But there is still a second remaining in regulation. Hayes gets it in. Sadiq fires. Oh! 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 Sadiq Bay just hit it. If it's if it's good, he nailed it. Eddie Malloy's going to look at it. Hayes waiting, trying to throw it in, trying to throw it in, gets it in the bay, turns and fires it up, it's good! He hit it at the buzzer, a three-point shot falling backwards, went up and in, the Pistons mob him as they head to the locker room, and Detroit has won. My goodness. Yeah, another exhausting finish there. So after everything that the Warriors went through uh, to be able to get that tie, they think they're going into overtime for the second straight game. Remember, they won in double overtime a couple nights ago on what was a Kevon Looney offensive rebound. So yeah, Clay kind of brings them back with the layup, as I say, pulls them within a point. Uh, Then after the turnover, he has to make a three so that they can pull back to even. But it's Sadiq Bey kind of falling backward and hits the three at the buzzer. Yes, they did check it. And yes, it was a good shot before time expired. I don't even really remember. I kind of blacked out a little bit, but I think I just turned around. <laughs> and, you know, I knew we only had one second, so I didn't have that much time to think. You know, so I had to shoot it. So um, I'm, just, I'm just, you know, grateful it went in. As for the Warriors, they see their season-high five-game win streak come to an end at home in fairly dramatic fashion. I'm really proud of every single man who played. Five wins in a row at home. Uh, hopefully we can bounce back Saturday. We're going to look back in a few months, and I know how important this stretch will be because we're still we're above 500 finally. And I mean, might be only five, six games out of first, so we can make a run for it. When it's all said and done, they get healthy, get everybody back, have a great coach in Steve and his staff. Uh, championship DNA, you cannot give the experience to anybody that they have. Dwayne Casey definitely still pointing to the Warriors as the team to beat. They've got the championship pedigree, obviously the defending champs, and as I say, Steph Curry is targeting the 13th as the day he will return to the lineup. He just missed 10, his 10th straight game. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Brooklyn taking that 12-game win streak into Chicago. 
Levine creating with a handoff to Vooch to DeMar DeRozan. Four minutes remaining here in the fourth quarter. DeRozan with a spin on Royce O'Neal. Turn around jumper. 19-footer got it. And DeMar DeRozan with back-to-back hoops. And it's a 115-102 ball game. Bulls. 15 on the clock. And this crowd loves it. They are on their feet. After a tough, tough loss at Cleveland, they have bounced back and answered the call tonight. And the Bulls are about to snap a 12-game win streak by the Brooklyn Nets. It's good to have winning streaks, but we we more concerned with how we plan and what we're doing to produce the wins. And I think uh, we you know we we're, we're walking in the right direction when it comes to that. We're building some solid habits. Yeah, this is not what people expected at the beginning of the season. Remember all the drama. Uh, they end up firing Steve Nash. They're still not sure about Ben Simmons and how he fits in the lineup. The talk is that they're going to bring in Ime Udoka, so having to trade assets uh, to the Celtics to get him. They table that idea. They bring back Jacques Vaughn. He's the interim. Then the interim is removed. And even though Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving don't actually get a say it's all hunky-dory now. Sunshine and roses. <laughs> They'd won 12 in a row, and I think it was 16 of 17. And now they, they lose in Chicago, and they're going to start to get every opponent's best shot. So if you think about the top five in the East, they are right there with the Bucks and the Celtics, the Cavaliers, and the Sixers. Dennis Dodd is next. He's faster out. <laughs>